Hello, Marvelites who are listening to Marvel's pull list for new Marvel Comics on sale February 8th, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for magnets. Magnets. How do they work? Only the Insane Clown Posse can help us understand. Yeah. But we are not here to talk about the Insane Clown Posse. We've got to talk about comic books. So many comic books. Uh, big week. Lots of stuff to get to. Lots of uh, fun stuff with our reading club and more. Because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics. Where we give you a whole bunch of details and reasons to check out every new comic every week. We'll give you our top three personal picks of the week. These are the ones we absolutely love. We want you to read them, spend your money on them, and come back and tell us why you love them so much. We'll also tell you a bit about every other book that's out this week. We're going to give awards out to all those books based on a quote from one of the comics this week. And there's a whole fun game about the quote. If you've never listened to the show before, if you have, you know what you're in for. Plus, we'll run through the new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited, some highlights of the uh, issues that are also new to Marvel Unlimited this week, and some of our picks on the collections on sale this week. Plus, as I mentioned, a reading club. What do we got, Jasmine? We are talking to Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, which you're probably going to think, what? Didn't you do that last week? And yes, we did. But this is part two of their creator commentary slash reading club of the first arc of their Captain America Sentinel of Liberty arc called revolution it covers issues one through six of that run but we're also gonna we're gonna talk about some of the other stuff they're working on um in the coming months yeah um it's fun it's great chat with them lots of cool details and that book is so good all right speaking of books that are so good let's get into our picks this week starting with black panther number 14 i just gotta say that main cover by Alex Ross with Namor draped in the Wakandan flag and like that look on his face. It is something special. It looks like he's about to drop a mixtape and I'm here for it. It's just the most Namor thing you could possibly think of. I know. But if, if you're going to pick up this issue and you're also are a variant hunter, there's some good ass variants this week. But we're not just talking about variants. We're talking about the book itself because it's so great. Written by John Ridley. Art by Herman Peralta. Colors by Jesus Arbutov. And lettering by VCs Joe Sabino. Man, I just, there's so much going on here. I love Herman Peralta's version of Namor, especially the first panel we see him in. His, the angle of the shot, he just looks so arrogant and so full of himself, which is how I want my Namor. And he says, rise T'Challa and know that I fight with you. And then just Captain America's like, Namor? And it's just, <laughs> there's a level of excitement and fun and humor in this issue while still so being funny. full of dramatic like messed up stuff because at the end by this point in the run where you know a year in t'challa has basically burned all his bridges with mm -hmm. everyone he knows with his country with literally everyone and now his most hated foe is fighting with him side by side it is delicious yeah, before they fight together, they do fight a little bit against each other. T'Challa headbutting Namor and then kicking him. And Namor is just like, man, this is, hey, this is fine. We're, we're dealing with this. We get to see how and why they're together. But there's also uh, this big battle that they have to get into. There's a really cool page where the, the squad, there's like three squads going after 
the big bads in this issue. I'm, I'm not going to spoil too much. It's we're really running through who's been behind all the big troubles that Chala has been going through aside from himself, because he is definitely uh, to blame. But there's also other culprits here. It's great. This killer of an issue. There's lots of fun moments in here. There's uh, a quote in here that I love, which is you are deception personified which is full of uh, venom and full of anger. There's a moment in here where Carol, uh, AKA Captain Marvel sees some others just get, who are very powerful, do something spectacular. And she's like, uh, that's my thing, but no, seriously, that's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it cracked me up. Um, yeah. It's, we're getting to a sort of a, a big conclusion in next issue of this storyline. And it, it ain't all going to be hugs and handshakes coming out of this. Definitely not. Not at all. Um, next up, speaking of hugs and handshakes, you know what <laughs> happens a lot in this next pick of the week? What? All of that. Just kidding. It doesn't <laughs> at all. It's the complete opposite. I'm talking about Daredevil number eight. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Mark Aketo. We have colors by Matthew Wilson and Eric Arseniega. And then it's lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles. This issue is insane literally like it is just crazy action in this book it is essentially what we've been looking forward to right like it's been building up to this bubble and we have this giant war being fought between daredevil and the punisher and the punisher is just like i mean he's got a whole ass dragon in this fight alongside the hand and then meanwhile daredevil's like hey stegron can you uh help us out here and stegron's like i can't she's too big I can't really control this giant dragon, so we're going to have to take her out. And then you got Stiltman in there. It's just, there's so many things going on in this book. But at the same time, I think that I love about this is it's a very grounded, like, even though it's a huge, like, almost like Game of Thrones-esque type battle, it's very much, like, at a ground level where we're following Matt, when we're, we're in his head, we're watching him watch his friends and his, like, his, you know, his team essentially fight this war. And we get those reaction shots, but we also get to see him just getting both physically and mentally broken down. Yeah. He is going after Frank Castle here. He is trying to like fix these wrongs. He's trying to bring him back. And a lot of it, too, isn't even just trying to bring him back. Like, I think at one point he even says, it. he's like, look, there's no more redemption here. Like, you just have to go down. And it's that feeling that is very palpable in this issue like it is daredevil finally being like you know what after all these years like i'm coming after you um and this isn't just because of what's been happening recently it's like it's all these years of pent up like just like not resentment necessarily but just pure like justice like he's just like i'm coming after you like you've just you've gone not even only too far but like you have to be put to an end um and the results of this issue i'm not going to spoil them but man i did not like I, I, i'm not even gonna say anything else because i man whatever direction this story goes next in like i i don't even know um i don't know how to how to piece this thing together but i'm here for it i'm along for the ride like chip is absolutely killing it on this book and it really feels like this giant blown up war where we're watching all of these storylines kind of like come to a head this has been simmering for like, you know, almost 40 years and it's not going to yes. like the, there's a lot of history here and I love that it dives into it. Mm-hmm. Plus Stiltman, hero of the day. Can you believe it? I didn't think his stilts could do that. You know what? Anything's possible. 
Yeah. And the I, power I, of the I, fist. I was like, wow, yeah. that is incredible. Yeah. All right. Our third pick of the week is here and it is an X-Men book because I am who I am. And it is storm and the brotherhood of mutants. Number one, this is the first uh, issue in our sins of sinister series past the first one that sort of established everything that's going on with sins of sinister. Um, but this is, yeah, this is actually part two of sins of sinister called storms seven written by Al Ewing art by Paco Medina colors by J David Ramos lettering by VCs Ariana Mar. And it's, it's got so much cool stuff, including a little bit of sugar, man. The minute I opened the book, I was like, there he is. Ryan's going to be so happy. I was so happy. Uh, this does take place in year 10. It's an important thing to, to, to note if you are, if you are just getting into Sins of Sinister. Uh, this one, we're seeing the sort of ramifications of what has happened in 10 years. Rocco is basically destroyed and how that happens why that happens is is really relayed in here early on in the book there's a page that is a text page but it reads like the opening crawl of star wars meets the a-team sort of uh, through line that happens during the beginning of the a-team tv show it sets up the team who they are and what their mission is it's tremendous uh but that's what this does it's you know from their secret base unknown to the sinister regime a crack squadron of six lost souls each one the best there is at what they do fight a war without end against the evil that smashed their last hope for peace they are storm and the brotherhood and then there's just like an awesome guitar solo in my head so we see the little bit of sugar man but it's a chimera version and then there's a whole bunch of other chimera in here there's Great one that is half maggot, half marrow with flesh eating bones. It is Mm-mm. the best, worst thing I've ever read. It is awful. Uh, we get to see Storm and her team in here and Mystique and Destiny, the whole Mystique Destiny thing that's going on here. The Mystique of it all. Ooh. I love someone who plays with Mystique and does really cool things with them. And Al and uh, Paco do <laughs> some stuff that like surprised me in here, too. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, overall, I think m- my favorite thing about the idea of Sins of Sinister is how the story is broken up into year 10, year 100, year 1000. Those beats allow for huge things to happen in each issue with like wide ripples. And because we're only getting one issue of each of these Sins of Sinister series set during their time periods, like put it all out on the on the page. Let big things happen. Let characters die things go wrong things like go really well and then we pick it up in the other books but also in in like you know in a hundred years in a thousand years like we get to do some really fun things with time in in this story so yeah i love it if you are an x fan i'm sure you're already picking this up but if you want something different something new check this out there's not a lot of like necessary knowledge other than general x-men stuff and even that is put on the page here so Ryan, that is it for our picks of the week, but we got to talk about our award. Last week, we were giving out the Power of Jazz Award, which is probably the best name that we've ever had for an <laughs> award, to be honest. But it was in Silver Surfer Ghost Light, issue number one. Yeah. We did have a winner. We got an email, actually a couple of emails, but we got an email with the winner, uh, with the quote and everything from Werewolfie from Sri Lanka. It was very cool. Werewolfie said... Finally found this week's award in Silver Surfer Ghostlight. Went through a lot of issues that y'all listed out to get to this. 
Didn't actually think it'd be there, but bang! And what an intriguing story. You guys are doing a great job in setting the stage for us to read the comics and making us appreciate the story and our works. It's amazing. Love, love, love the X-Men comics. Really hope they don't destroy Krakoa and the state the mutants are in right now. House of X and Powers of Ten are my all-time favorite comic arcs. It's just mind-blowing. Till this day, I keep telling everyone about that storyline, saying how amazing it is. Really hope Sins of Sinister will be the same. So far, it's got me hooked. And Werewolfy finishes by saying, Can you recommend some good reading material for Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania before the movie comes out? I'm so excited for that. Well, thank you for all that. Thank you for finding everything. Thank you for winning. And while there's nothing specific we'd say to read before the film, uh, there's tons of great stories featuring the big antagonist, the the sort of big bad of this phase of the MCU, Kang. Uh, of course, tons of great stories for Ant-Man and the Wasp. I would say uh, the Ant-Man and the Wasp series from 2018 by Mark Wade and Javier Garon. So I love that series. It's so good. And it has them going to like a, like a subatomic realm and dealing with all kinds of things. And Javier's art is just fantastic. So that one's really good. There is well, actually two recent Ant-Man series, one from 2020, as well as the series from 2022. The 2021 is written by Zeb Wells, 2022 one by Al Ewing. They give you lots of insights onto multiple ants men. So go check those out. And then for Kang, the two, the 2021 Kang the Conqueror series by, oh, look at that, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Oh, hey. hmm. I've heard of those guys. I know them. Uh, yeah. And drawn by Carlos Magno. That one is really good. That's like a, you want to know about Kang? That's your jam. That's a really good one. Uh, and of course, the more recent two timeless issues from this this previous December and the December prior, those have lots of Kang stuff in there. Um, and Avengers Kang Dynasty, that storyline from the early 2000s. I mean, that's feels like that's a big one that everybody should read. And look, if you want to play some fun Kangy stuff, the Lego Marvel Superheroes video game, the Lego Marvel Superheroes 2 video game, the tagline was, it's all about time. I mean... It was so much fun. It's all about time travel and multiversal weirdness and silliness. It was, it's a blast. It's a blast. All right, Jasmine, what is this week's award name? The Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual Award. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, we hope you find it because if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List or email us at pulllist at marvel.com if you're among the first I'll send you something fun, but you got to be among the first. Please mark your messages as okay to read so we can read them here on the show. And if you have a local comic shop, please let us know their name and location so we can give them a shout out as well. All right, let's give that award to some comics, starting with Alien number six. This is the final part of this run. It's final issue by writer Philip Kennedy Johnson and Julius Ota. Oof, Julius Ota is going to be huge mark my words the art in this run has been really friggin' good uh there's a bunch of really intense stuff in here but i want to give my your grandpa is a deeply terrifying individual award to just the the terror and like the unease i got during a scene of face huggers skittering across and like starting to climb on someone because you've got that and you've got a xenomorph queen and i I think I'm more scared of the the face huggers than I oh, am absolutely. of the queen. 
Like the queen will kill you in like seconds, but the face huggers will like get on your face, put them their thing in your mouth and then put their ew, their tail ew, around your throat. Ew, like ew. that is so unsettling. And it's really it's put to great effect in here. No, thank you. <laughs> Moving on, we got Amazing Spider-Man issue number 19. It's a fill-in issue by Joe Kelly and Terry and Rachel Dodson. It's a great fill-in issue. I like this. It's a nice little break from, you know, Dark Web, uh, which is also really great. But in this issue, we get Peter Parker and Black Cat going on a date or pretty much taking a weekend trip up to, you know, somewhere up north, going into a spa. They're going to, you know, take a nice breather. Um, And of course, everything that could potentially go wrong goes wrong. And it's great. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and give my Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual Award to... Black Cat, who is probably the most secure person I've ever met in my life. Like, there's a thing that happens in this issue where, like, I feel like if any couple had this happen to them, there would be a lot more drama involved in terms of, like, internal drama between the couple. You know, it'd be like, ooh, we're going to dredge this up. She's just like, yeah, I already know what this is. Like, it's fine. I don't care. I've moved on. I'm better. Like, let's keep going. And I love her for that. Yeah. Man, I am so here for Peter Parker and uh, Felicia Hardy as a romantic couple. Makes me so happy. So happy. I want a rom-com, and that's what this was, and I loved it. Yeah, and it's, it's hilarious. Joe Kelly, man. So good. All right, we've got Avengers War Across Time, number two here. Just I, I want to give my Your Grandpa as a deeply terrifying individual to the classic fun vibes. You can really tell that Paul Levitz is having fun playing with Marvel toys after you know, a 50 year career over at DC coming in and being like, yeah, well, I read these comics when I was younger and these are the, the characters I want to play with. And so he does. It's it's really fun. You get to see Peter Parker show up. Uh, you get little touches with other other characters like Patsy Walker in there. Willie Lumpkin oh, showing up. You know, Paul is just like, all right, I want this. I want this. I want this. Chomp it up. Next up, we have Bishop War College, issue number one. And this one's kind of a fun little concept. We have Bishop training a team of newbies, essentially. I mean, some of them are newbies. Some of them are less so than others. We have a handful of different characters, including Surge and Armor, who are less newbies than the other ones are. But we get to see Bishop. He's he's so grumpy in this issue. He's just like, you guys don't know what it's like. You guys have it nice on this island. Like, back in my day, I had a fight to, like, you know, survive. And I'm like, you know what? You're not wrong, but also, like, chill. Um, and it's just a very interesting dynamic. Like there's so much that has happened in the X-Men lore that to see this and see the, like the younger generation talking to someone who's like seen the worst of like mutant kinds of history, um, is just like a, a, an interesting, uh, parallel, but also like, I'm going to give my, uh, your grandpa is a deeply terrifying individual award to Danny Moonstar who just comes at Bishop so hard and i respect her so much for it she just oh i'm i'm terrified i think i'm more terrified of danny moonstar than i am of the face huggers not gonna lie wow i i get it i get it all right we've got captain america symbol of truth number 10 this week we've got uh white wolf suited up looking fierce rb silva just mm, chef's kiss so good there's a great sky battle like in the sky between a vampired up falcon versus captain america versus nomad and it's it's just rad i like that 
Captain America Sam Wilson feels very different from Captain America Steve Rogers, and it's very apparent that they're very different in here. I'm going to give the Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual award to an early splash page in the issue of Sam um, just saying, Joaquin, what did you do? It is powerful and emotional and in what is truly just a simple image of our hero standing there but there's so much in it so much feeling the look in his face the like the body language the background everything around it is it's a great comic image that's what it does next up we have ghost rider issue 11 and this story is pretty much dealing with the repercussions of something that was kind of you know established in the last couple of issues now we have uh johnny blaze riding this new motorcycle um but what does that mean? How did this like? How does this motorcycle work? It's creepy. It's formally exhaust. So it's like, okay, what does does he have its mind of its own? He sure does, and you get to learn all about it in this issue, including how he uses his brake handles to <laughs> mutilate human beings. It's wild. Um, but I'm gonna give my your grandpa is a deeply terrifying individual award to exhaust in motorcycle form because I need this motorcycle as part of the pet adventures. I I'm deeming him a pet. I, you know, you say that, but I felt bad the way I looked at exhaust when there's a certain panel of exhaust there. And I was like, I felt bad for exhaust. I felt sad for this. He's a monster monster. But at the same time, I was like, oh, I blame Corey Smith and I guess (laughs) Benjamin Percy, but Corey did some great art there. So fine. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, Gold Goblin issue number four is out this week. We... It's on the same vein. I'm going to give my Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual Award to Christopher Cantwell and the crew here who do a solid job of kind of making us feel for Norman freaking Osborne. Like, he is a monster in every sense of the word, but he's going through some stuff in this story, in this era of of his character. And I look at it, I'm reading this, I was like... Man, poor, poor Norman. And I thought to myself, no, not poor Norman. Yeah, no. He's the worst. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, up next, we have Joe Fixit, issue number two, and it stars Kingpin as Peter David just writes some of the wildest and just quippiest lines for both Peter Parker and Joe Fixit, and I'm here for it. Yeah. Like, both of the situations have to deal with Peter Parker either talking to Kingpin or Joe Fixit talking to Kingpin, but the fact that Joe Fixit not only claps back at kingpin but also like throws a drink in his face is probably one of the funniest things that i've seen this week Uh, i laughed out loud when he went to go reach for a second drink to go just do the same thing (laughs) and for that he gets my your grandpa is a deeply terrifying individual award all right, we've got Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur issue number three out this week. I'm going to give the award, the Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual Award, to Moon Girl testing giant sparkly devil dinosaur poop for something. I cracked up with that one. There's also, as a father of a, a daughter who we tried desperately to get her to wear her bonnet at night because mm-hmm. she has beautiful, beautiful curly hair. Mm-hmm. Seeing Moon Girl adventuring while wearing a satin bonnet she got from Shuri in Wakanda is the best. And I have to show this comic to Catherine to be like, look, even Moon Girl wears her bonnet and she does it when she's out being a superhero. Like it's made out of vibranium. Oh, you know how God. like your curls would be perfect. They would be in. Ugh, I mean, come on. Would kill for that. I know. Next up, we have Namor the Submariner, Conquered Shores, issue number five. It's the last issue of this series, and it is a giant slugfest between Namor and Atuma. And not only is it 
a fist fight, but there are some words that are tossed around back and forth here that are, woo, they're brutal. But the thing that I'm going to give my Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual Award is the opening sequence, which features, you know, like a flashback to Namor's days as an invader alongside Captain America and mm-hmm. the Human Torch. And what it really does is it, it frames this whole story and it shows how much Namor has been through. Like, And not only that, but how much has changed in the world and how much he has changed as a, as a person. And I really, really like that moment of reflection. Yeah. Also, spoiler alert, there's a happiness to this book amidst all the awfulness. <laughs> but like sometimes we get a book with a happy ending and I'm happy. It's kind of, it. yeah. It's for fresh. It's pretty happy. Yeah. Um, all right, we've got the first issue of a new series, Red Goblin number one this week. There is a Mike Mayhew variant for this book, which is bananas. If you're a variant head, check out that Mike Mayhew cover. It is wild. It's really cool. Um, but in this issue, we got Red Goblin, who is um, son of Harry Osborn, grandson of Norman Osborn, and he calls Green Goblin pop pop in this issue. <laughs> I mean, it is delightful. That is so much fun. Um, I'm going to give my Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual Award to Rascal the Symbiote. The fact that the (laughs) symbiote is named Rascal uh, brings me pure joy. It is a kid who is named the symbiote and the symbiote is latched onto the name Rascal it, the, the symbiote is kind of like a puppy in this. There's so much about it. It surprised the heck out of me. It, there's also, there's like creepy stuff and, and horror stuff and, and it's symbiote stuff. But there's also like those fun elements of a, you're getting to see a kid in the midst of all this nonsense and what that means. I will also say, this has one of the, my favorite descriptions for a symbiote. They say, quote, it's skin moved like spiders hatching. No. Yeah, Mm-mm. I know. It's awful. I was so happy. That was great. It was really great. I love that you mentioned the puppy thing because it very much feels like the trope where it's like, oh, a child brings a puppy home and tries to keep it away from their parents. And like, mm-hmm. that's very much what this is. And that it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Secret Invasion issue number four. And I really like this issue because it made me reflect on a lot that's happened since the major secret invasion event that happened in like what 2008 Mm. and it was like there's so much that has changed in in the marvel universe between these two books and so much that like has like we've learned about the scrolls and like learned about you know the stakes that are i guess no longer there or at least we thought they weren't there anymore and like what this does, this this information or what we've learned from this, like, does to our heroes and the characters in the story. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and give my Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual Award to the sky fight that Maria Hill goes into without even hesitating. Like, she jumps out of a plane. It's just Hell like, yeah. oh, I got to do this. Like, she doesn't even think about it. She just does it. And I'm like, wow. It reminded me of the... Uh, the panel, the page from the end of Civil War number one, where Cap jumps off the helicarrier. Yes, Hell it's yeah. exactly the same feeling. Yeah, rules. All right, we've got Star Wars Darth Vader number 31 this week. <sighs> Just come on. Greg Pak and Ibram Roberson do so much great stuff. I'm going to give my Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual award to them for how much character work that they do for the Handmaidens in very 
like small amount of space in this book. They they make you care. They make you invested in these characters by giving them backstories in like one or two panels each, but huge, like you you feel a story that is there that Greg has probably thought of that the Star Wars editorial team has probably thought of that we get a, a tiniest little hint, but it feels so realized and it's such a great job. It makes me want to go. Oh, okay. Can we have a Handmaiden's book, please? Can we have? Oh my God, please! Oh my gosh, I want that. Uh, yeah, it was oh, so fun. All right, next up we have Star Wars Hidden Empire number three. This could have been a pick of the week yeah. for me because this book is so good, and it's like for someone who like might not know what's going on during this this time period or wants to learn what else is going on in this time period. Like this is a book for you, and there's so much that happens in this story. Um, but the thing that I absolutely loved about this issue is the way that Charles Soule like frames it because it starts off with a pretty like scary uh sequence where we get Darth Vader kind of approaching the the fighters that we had uh, from the previous issue led by Chana Cha. And one of the first moves that Chana does is she, like, sprays acid at Darth Vader. And he's just, like, he pulls, like, a Godzilla where he's just, like, oh, no, I need to go recover and I need to go walk into the sea and I'll be back later. And that's, it's, like, even, like, it's shot like that or drawn, I guess, that way where it's, like, he looks like he's walking into the sea and just kind of, like, completely submerges himself. And, like, during that moment, we get the story, which I thought was really, really well done. And it's, like, by the time he comes back, you're, like, all right, ready, set, go. And you are in the action. Yeah. Um, but man, does Chana Cha get my Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual Award? Um, because what a badass. Yeah. Well, uh, also, Inigo Montoya vibes. If you've ever seen Princess Bride out there, you're going you're gonna to connect to it right away. All right, we've got Star Wars The High Republic number five. It's cool in this series to see Jedha and, and hear the Battle of Jedha and what that place was like before we've seen it in the films and all that stuff and so seeing what it's like in the films but now here in the comics that's cool i want to give my your grandpa is a deeply terrifying individual award to there's this one panel where we get to see jedi master libon who's like this i don't know feline alien character creature jedi dude but the shot is like kaneda uh from akira on the bike and this the the Jedi Master is like using a speeder and turning it. If like one of the most classic shots from Akira, uh, the, whether it's the anime or the manga, it's just of the speeder shot. It's one of those in this issue, and it got me. I was like, yeah, that rules. We've also got X Men Legends number six out this week, and I'm just gonna give my your grandpa's a deeply terrifying individual award to Will's Partacio, whom I love, and just seeing him do his business here on this, just going back to. The, the, the roots of Bishop, man, so good. Wills does beautiful tech work, like just odd looking wires and cables and metals and different things. He draws the coolest Bishop with arms that are massive and he's got the big hair and he's so awesome. His Edgar, the character that causes a lot of awful stuff in here, uh, is sleazy and creepy. His uh, Fitzroy is as wonderfully horrifying and nasty a villain as I remembered. Man, so good. Go read the original Bishop appearances if you've never read them, and then you can get embroiled now in the mystery of who was the traitor to the X-Men, the giant debate that was going on when I was a child. Oh, man. 
Also this week, there's a Stormbreakers 2023 sketchbook. It should be free from your local comic shop if they have them in stock. So go and ask them for them. It's cool. You learn about the artist. You see some upcoming stuff, some uh, some of the like process work for them and, and how they make their art. Plus there's like drawings from some of them when they were kids, uh, which is a hoot. It was really funny. Um, also hitting your local comic shop shelves is... A bunch of collections. Uh, we have Avengers by Jason Aaron, Volume 11, History's Mightiest Heroes. We have uh, a new Mighty Marvel Masterworks collection, Captain Marvel Volume 1, The Coming of Captain Marvel, and X-Men, the animated series, The Adaptations, Omnibus. Man, I devoured some of those adaptations when I was a kid. They they were like a dollar or they were a little bit cheaper than the other comics. Um, yeah, super, super fun. Super fun. Uh, also, we've got on Marvel Unlimited this week some new Infinity comics. We've got a bunch of finales of different arcs this week, whether it's X-Men, Avengers, Spider-Verse Unlimited, Love Unlimited. So a bunch of those will be finishing their arcs, and so we'll have some new stories to talk about next week. We're also getting Who is Moon Girl Infinity comic issue number one this week by Mahale Mashigo with Jethro Morales and Carlos Lopez on the art. So if you want like a little primer on Moon Girl, we got you covered. And then over on Marvel Unlimited, we have a bunch of digital comics hitting the service as well. We have Deadpool issue number one, uh, Secret Invasion number one, and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur issue number one. So lots of good stuff there. Lots of great stuff this week. All right, let's get back to our reading club. What do we got? We are going to continue talking to Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly about Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty Revolution, which is the first arc of their run. Um, it covers issues one through six and... Uh, we're going to be, you know, maybe teasing out some of the Cold War stuff here. So stick around for that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All right, y'all, we're back with Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty writers Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly to talk a little bit more about this first arc of their run, uh, their careers, all kinds of stuff. Maybe a little hype, a little teases for things coming up. Jackson, you, you had mentioned... The Grant Morrison being an influence. Colin, was Je- was Grant an influence on you as well, or did you not read that? Oh, yeah. Page? No, for sure. Um, I came to Grant a little later because I think the first Grant book I ever picked up was The Filth. And I was like, oh, my, this is a lot. <laughs> I'm 12. Um, but then, yeah, slowly um, we kind of started to get, I started to get more into it and more into it. Yeah. Um, you know, and like basically Sandman was an early gateway drug, which then leads you into the weirder side of things. And then once you're playing in the weird side of things, you find Grant's work and it's just like, oh my God, senpai, like this, <laughs> this is yeah. what I want. I love the, the, the vibe that this brings because, it, you know, when I read this book and I see y'all's work and some other writers who are, you know, of, I'm a little bit older, probably than definitely older than Jasmine, but I've been in, in the industry almost 20 years. So watching ge- like the generation sort of shift and seeing who is influenced by who and I think we're in such a really cool and exciting place now, seeing more writers who are writing top tier books and, and getting their hands on great characters who are influenced by Grant Morrison and and to some extent like Brubaker and, and Fraction and and seeing those influences really seep into the work of, of creators who are working now. Because to me, like Grant is the perfect distillation of absolutely weird and strange, but super poppy and accessible. And like, you can get all of that together. And that's 
you know, then you take that and, and I see it so much is why I love y'all's work so much because I see the grant of it all. I see the brewbreaker of it all and I see your own voices coming in and, and it's something that I will influence that next generation, but it's it's got this, like the designs for the outer circle and that concept is so weird, but you make it so easily, you can just tap into it. You get what it means. You feel it so easily. There's a humanity to it. And so it's just exciting and so good so job exciting. you guys well thank you that's that's really cool yeah. uh, the the outer circle is something we haven't spoken a lot about um here or even just like in general like we, we tried to talk about cat and bucky and like the big but like the outer circle was where this all started and in terms of the the, the, the cat pitch of it all it was actually a thing we came up with back at, like before we'd written kang the conqueror like before we'd ever stopped in at marvel we pitched it as a winter soldier arc um and we were like, I don't know, maybe we could do six issues with this someday. And um, and Alana at the time, who had already in her first meeting with us been like, like the first one we ever met was like, I think you guys would be really good for Steve. And we were like, Rogers? Never. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, like like Alana called her shot like immediately. Uh, so she, we had pitched Outer Circle to her and she, she'd been like, look, we can't do this now. This is in the middle of the ta run. And she was like, we can't do this right now, but like someday we should definitely look at this. This is neat. So when we got the shot at Cap, we said, hey, we, we know she already likes this. Let's return to this and see what it is. But at the time, at the early stage of it, that idea had been um, very influenced in some ways by like, uh, by conversations that I'd had with like Donnie Cates about symbols and their meaning. And like, he'd looked at how he had done uh how he'd taken the venom symbol and I, he was so proud of it. I remember the first time I talked to him and he was like, that's not a spider. And I was like, what? And I, and I, I remember like thinking about like, okay, well like, what is the shield if it's not a shield? Like what is the symbol if it's not America? And like, let's talk about what that means and sort of break that down. And, you know, so then it was, you know, the initial thing was like, oh, they're all super soldiers or something like, oh, we'll figure it out. Um, when we sat down to really pitch it out as Cap, Alana's challenge to us was like, step out this conspiracy and let us really understand what this is. And we sat down and we said, well, if you were going to order the world, and this is where you, the Grant Morrison stuff comes in, because then you say like, okay, let's look at this a little bigger and let's try to make this about something. Let's try to make this about something that when you step outside of the comic changes your perception of the world. Because that is to me, I think the great thing about what Grant's work does is you read their work and then you step out of the comic and you see, you see, like the filth is a great example. You step out of the filth, and you see filth differently. You 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 step out of X Men, and you see uh, corporations differently. You see transhumanism differently. Like you try to change the way that you see the outside world, not just the way that you see the comic book world. And so when we were talking about the outer circle, and we were like, well, if if Steve had to fight the forces that formed the twentieth century, and still have us now sort of going in the 21st what do those forces look like like how do you how do you personify those forces and we got to have a conversation that you you know you don't really think you're going to have when you talk about like punchy kicky superhero books which is like okay so what are what what is the difference between money and power what is the difference between art and revolution what is where does technology fit into all of that how do these people if you made these people if you made these five people power money love uh, uh machine and revolution how do you take those things and characterize them and make them in conflict but cooperate with one another without making it too like heady and conceptual? And that, like getting a chance to do that in a Marvel comic book is a uh, just a dream. Like what a delight. I, I think I think the the 
we, we couldn't believe when they said yes. <laughs> we were like, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Yeah, and that's a whole different story. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the cool things is also, you know, not just in, in the outer circle, not just telling another Illuminati. Right. right. Like we really wanted this to not be another secret cabal of supervillains pulling the strings of Captain America's life. Um, so by pulling back, you know, obviously there's one there's one theme that we constantly are coming back to in all of our work with this, which is anti-fascism. Yeah. Right. Like we look at the systems of the world and we look at how capitalism is a yoke that is just choking us. Right. Like these are the fundamental core realities of our world. So we wanted to make it not just a, a supervillain cabal, but a cabal of the actual abusers and perpetuators of the true villainy of the last century. Um, look, we have we have takes. We have very hot takes. <laughs> we have oh. takes. <laughs> we got, but I think the other the other neat thing is also um, Jack and I are game designers. Um, we've made a couple projects together, uh, a couple projects apart, and we love TTRPGs. It's going to be if you if anyone scratches the surface of our internet presence, you're going to find us all over in that scene. Um, which meant that when we started to figure out the Century game, which is the actual machinations of the Outer Circle, we had to actually kind of break into that and actually figure out the rules, figure out the systems by which they play, and then give that the grounding of their experience. Um, so I keep making the joke that like soon, perhaps people will be able to play the Century game at home. No, that's exactly what I was going to ask. I was we like, got it's, the rules. <laughs> it's so fascinating to me that like, um, I love that you said that you were able to like humanize some of these concepts because like, it's funny. Cause I was able to, like you said, step out of that book and be like, Oh, like I can see, you know, power moving in this direction or I can see this or that. And I think that that's very fascinating and it's cool to like visualize it that way. Um, but one of the things that like on top of the rules, like I'm glad you were talking about like the actual like board game and like the rules. Um, but one of the things I thought was fascinating that I forgot about in the early issues, we start to see in the beginning of issue or at the end of issue one is the radio and like the code that is like being like uh, broadcast as like that's that's how they communicate. How did you like that that concept to me? Like I'm a radio nerd. I mean, I work in radio. I work in audio. So to me, I was just like one. I want that giant like floor like radio, um, vintage radio. But two, like I love the radio company. But like the the players in the radio company are just normal people. Like besides the destroyer, um, but like. How did that come about? Like, why the radio? Like, what was it about that that, like, appealed to you guys? So when I was a teenager, I think, um, my dad, who's, like, super into – so my, my dad's, like, a genius. He's an astrophysicist. He's a uh, – he, he, he loves, like – he's super into, like, weird music. He got me into, like, very interesting sort of conceptual art very young and has sort of fed that to me most of my life. So it's it's – I, I'm privileged to sort of every once in a while just like a meteor of like weird stuff hits my brain because my dad decided I should get into it. Um, he gave me a uh, an album. I think it was by Oneo Tricks Point Never. Uh, like it was some like e EDM band or like like uh, um, not EDM but uh, like ambient music band that was all uh, samples taken from number stations. Uh, which are like a real life actual phenomenon. They're weird radio stations that just uh, play out uh, sequences of numbers out over uh, broadcasting. And I became obsessed with it sort of short term. I was just like, this is such a weird, like nobody knows 
what number stations are or why they exist or what they are doing. There's a lot of thought process that they are like left behind aspects of the Cold War that are just still running because we don't know how to turn them off or like their code mechanisms or whatever. There's a lot of conspiracy around what's up with number stations. You can go and do an internet deep dive and I'm sure you'll discover a lot of weird, mostly untrue information. Um, the uh, <laughs> So when we started talking about like, if you're the outer circle and you're trying to broadcast your uh, moves to one another because you aren't necessarily all in the same place uh, and, and you need to make that fair, what would you do? And like pretty early in our conversation, number stations came up as a, as a, uh, as a way to mechanize that and a way to take another little piece of 20th century history and apply that to the outer circle because whenever we can do that, we want to do that. Um, so that was a, uh, I think that was just a direct like, like, oh, that's just been sitting in my brain for a long time. So when we were talking about it, I was like, Colin, have you ever heard of number stations? And and then <laughs> I, think, like, I think that's where that uh, particular part of it came from. Radio Company was a wider concept about us really trying to make sure that um, Steve's, as we talked about Steve as a person, that we weren't just introducing new friends, but showing that there were certain friends that he had had since the war, because there aren't that many people still living who encountered World War II. And having a few, having a few people left that could encounter that, who could meet Steve where he lived, just felt like a really um, important thing to have around him. There's that just sort of reminded me of one of the page, like it's it's a full page like splash where, again, it's one of Carmen's amazing like action sequences, but like each thought like uh, box is essentially him talking like thinking about people who he's fought the war with, and it slowly progresses to like different ranks in like the military but then it turns into like namor and like some of the, like the more like super powered ones that people are familiar with and i love that he's thinking about them in the same respect like they're all like top of mind they're not like oh this is my superhero friends these are the ones who did the most actions like no this is the person who was on the front line here's the person who like helped me clear this place out and i was like that's really cool that's um fascinating um well, both, but, of uh, our, both of our grandfathers fought in world war ii um and both oh, of cool. our grandfathers are, are name checked in the book that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. You're like, wow. What obscure these? What? What? Yeah, I was like, wow. Referencing, it's like, oh, that's just that's just our dads. Oh. <laughs> Talking about the uh, the outer circle, also want to talk about the star points and that concept, and also. You know, we're talking about a century game. Obviously, Bucky has been around a long time, but in as you two are thinking about your your story, have you just? put down yet yeah, all right here's this star point that operated from this point to this point i can i i would imagine there's like if you turned your camera there's a board both on both of your walls that's just like all the star points that existed oh, for yeah, you all... mean the big secret wall <laughs> he says as he turns the camera to wow the wall of that's a lot of string collins <laughs> yeah yeah here's where it all comes together oh sorry uh, i forgot audio podcast oh well oh awkward y'all miss so much uh, yeah, I mean, th that, so, interestingly enough, that is both true and untrue. We have thought a lot about what people could have been star points over the 20th century. One of the things that's really important to us, um, generally, is to not let the world building get ahead of the story in a way that um, locks the story down from possible story uh, 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 avenues that we just don't see yet. So while we do a lot of world building, um, like we could tell you very specifically who the first star points were, and we could tell you how 
like World War II is like the most interesting story to us in terms of like what's up with the outer circle. Cause like, how does you come out of World War One and you're like, we're going to build five, eight, you know, we're going to build a whole conspiracy to not throw the world back into war. And then within 20 years, you have failed so hard that the Holocaust happens, right? Like how, like, how does that happen? How does that warp the outer circle? What is that story? I really hope we get to it one day. It is, it is one we have talked out very extensively. Um, and when that you could point at a big whiteboard and be like, Oh, look, they've mapped it. After that, we've, we've tried to leave ourselves a lot of open space to play because in success, we, you know, depending on how long this run ends up being, we get to, you know, dig deeper into those stories. So, um, it is both like something that we've locked down and also something that we've tried to leave a little bit of open space for in case there's a great idea that comes down the pipe that we just don't have yet or that doesn't fit in thematically and then does when we get there. You know, we try to be a, a this isn't like quite Babylon 5 where we're like, there's five years, it's all locked in, we know exactly what it is. But it's like, <laughs> we, know, we know the important stuff and then we're giving ourselves a little room to do some jazz um, as we go. Well, and the, you know, obviously our hope is that other writers, other creators come in and use these toys as well, right? And so we don't want to put too many dictations on it just because we don't want to put them in the possible box, right? The best feeling is when you create something that not only you love, but that a future creator is also going to love and pick up and run with. Um, so we've left a lot of space in the Outer Circles story for that to happen. Um, but I also think just a little tip out there for any uh, any writers who are looking to glean some knowledge um, a mistake that's often made with world building is filling in every corner, right? World building can just be an ideation or a boros where you're just constantly adding more detail and more story. And sometimes if you're Jonathan Hickman, hell yeah, baby, <laughs> fill that entire story in. But I also guarantee you that John keeps space free because the point of world building is to create questions that you do not have answers to yet. And answering those questions is where story comes from. So we definitely try to not put ourselves in the same box. And Hickman's listening to this, I know. And uh, he's like, <laughs> you, they're baby. On well, well, they're on to me. They're on to me. Hi, him. John. We love I you. Got, we met him. We sat, uh, we did a panel and he sat next to us. And like, he's, I mean, obviously he's kind of a contemporary because we're working next to him, which is insane to us because he's still, I mean... Of, go. of the writers, of the writers working, he is like of, of the writers who are like of the. You, we were talking about generations of writers, right? Of the writers who are quote unquote in our generation. I think he's like he's obviously he's older than us, but he's I, I, he got into comics. Nightly News came out around the same time I published Freak Show, like the first thing I ever put out. So like I, you know, I imagine you know he is he is to some degree contemporary. Um, but he is the he's of our contemporaries the one that you you look at and you're like. I feel the way about him that I feel about somebody like Grant, where you're just like, I I, I remain in awe of John. I've, I've gotten to do story summits with John now, and I remain in awe of the way that he thinks, of the way that he pitches, of the way that he builds story, of the way that he understands things. Um, it's just a real, real like artist goals there. He's incredible, man. And it's stupid because his hair is so good. How dare? <laughs> how <laughs> long dare? is it now? I haven't seen hair. him in a long time. Oh, how dare him and Rom V. Best hair in comics, and they both Rondi's have hair boot. Those monsters. Like, you yeah. can't have both, you know? You got to look a little disheveled if you're going to be a world builder. Yeah, yeah exactly. Jack and, Jack and I both look like underbridged trolls. Thank you both for <laughs> commenting on our I didn't want to say anything, you know? <laughs> Colin, I think your, your Jonathan Hickman description about world building is so 
apt and so important and so good because I remember in the House of X, Powers of Ten summits and, and the Secret War summits, all the, the, the years building up to all his stories and especially the, the X-Men stuff, he had built so much and, and made it so flexible in the way he was thinking about everything and the way he was looking to work with everyone else that he could fill in everything but he didn't and he he had it so it was it could be the accordion of however we needed to be and it's the best that's a really great piece of advice there's there's a thing there's kind of like a there's a, a lot of people equate like to use a game term narrative design with writing and they are absolutely besties but part of it is designing a story space right and like that's not necessarily means that you're going to write every corner of the story space or know what every answer is going to be but you are going to create the 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 potential uh, for other others or yourself to play in. So there you go. There, there, internet. Have a little wisdom. I wanted to ask you guys, before we let you go, I want to quickly talk about your upcoming book, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. What can you, I mean, and Cold War. Like, I definitely want to talk about Cold War. What can you tell us about these books? Like, you guys seem pretty psyched about Cold War and Guardians of the Galaxy and working with Kev Walker. So I'm curious. Uh, what yeah. can you expect? Let me uh, let me tackle Guardians first, um, because Guardians is was an awesome opportunity. Uh, Darren Shen came in. He's the editor and he asked us uh, to bring him a take. And we kind of wrestled with it because space Western, they were like, we want a space Western. And what we all kind of realized really quickly is that's not a that's not a genre like that's not or rather that is a genre, but it's not a storytelling space. Right. It's like anything can be a space Western. Really, it's just involves, you know, aesthetics. So we all needed to circle around and find the kind of Western that we wanted to tell. Uh, and one of the things that is really important, I think, uh, is the kind of tragedy inherent in the Old West, right? When you're telling a Western, it's very hard to come out on top, right? The West itself, frontier stories are a tragedy because we know that all this wonderful space is one day going to fall to civilization. Um, and for that, we realized like Unforgiven was the right tone, right? So we kind of started nailing in on this story about the Guardian's kind of uh, post uh, where Al left them, you know, they end on that big group hug and it's wonderful. We're picking up later after something terrible has happened to the Guardians. It split them up, the proscenium is destroyed and suddenly our Guardians are effectively all in crisis, um, emotional, intellectual crisis. And they're together trying to stop, um, well, trying to work with something that fans have also probably heard by now, Grootfall. We will not be explaining what that is until you pick up issue one. Uh, but the Guardians have all come together effectively at the edge of known space to try and once again save the galaxy, even though they know that this might be a finally, might be their losing battle. Um, and it's a really exciting um, opportunity beyond the the just nature of, um, hey, what do you want to do with the Guardians of the Galaxy? And I do, I do want to just reframe really quickly that like, they actually didn't come to us with Space Western. They just came to us with a big open slate and we talked to them for like two months about pitches and we just kept getting back, like make it, make it even wilder. Can you take it even further from the pitch? Can you get even like, this still feels too much like just like what we expect from the guardians. And in a moment of frustration, we went, so like, like you, you want like something totally different, like a, like a Western. And then there was just like a silence and they were like, yeah, I think that's, I think that's what we want. And then exactly that conversation that Colin just it, it went out, which was us being like, but that doesn't mean anything. What is that? How do you? And then uh, out of that, somehow we found something that we were just like deeply, deeply excited about. Like Guardians came out of them giving us a big open road and us really working to discover what lied on that road because it was not a book we'd ever imagined writing. We came into Steve Rogers with like, 
we know everything we want to do with Steve. With the Guardians, it was like, here's a frontier. Go, like, find the new thing. Find, genuinely, like, push this story forward in a way that is different than what's come before and isn't bound by the movie or the franchise as it exists or the characters that people like want to have in the book or whatever, like do what you want to do. So we got to pull our team. We got to pull our genre. And then they came to us with Kev. And the coolest thing about working with Kev is that he is, as I pointed out earlier, is that he is a storyteller first. So he will get your scripts and just like evolve them in, and not in a way that's like you get a bunch of layouts. Like Kev writes you an essay about the changes he's making and why. Like, he's a collaborative, like, deeply invested artist who is, I think, really relishing the chance to do... I think he feels about Guardians the way that we felt about Steve, where he's like, finally, we get, I get the thing. And now he is doing just the work of his career. Like, I think the every page is uh, blowing me away. Um, his ability to take... What I think could be a pretty straight down the middle concept of like, it's Guardians, but they're all wearing cowboy hats now. And turn it into something that is an actual Western with the soul of an actual Western um, is uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful collaboration. It's very cool to have a collaboration with an artist of that caliber because he is uh, legendary to, to both of us. We're both Magic the Gathering players. So we're like, we have a lot of your cards here. Like, you're amazing. <laughs> so anyway guardians is gonna rip we're really excited for it I, I i if you've never read a guardians book before in your life it, this book is for you if you've been reading guardians for 20 years since you know annihilation this book is for you like the book kind of sits for everybody because it is like our steve book very much a new number one it's a new lead in it's a brand new take but it sits fundamentally on everything that's come before um so it's it's been a uh, it's been a real delight to get to put together and then Cold War, heck yeah, <laughs> if people are loving uh, uh, what we're doing in, in Sentinel of Liberty, and if you're loving what Tochi is doing over in Symbol of Truth, um, these two books are going to be slamming together into our uh, our first crossover event uh, that, that Jack and I have ever really gotten to do, uh, which is Captain America's Cold War. Um, these two books are going to come together in a Cold War Alpha issue, and then there's going to be, uh, they're going to flop between the titles uh, for... Uh, in the middle for four issues, and then a big old Omega uh, issue that'll wrap everything up. Uh, and this is very much, we want everyone to know, this is very much tied into both series, right? This is not really a pocket story. This is a story that is slamming into both books. It is going to feature both uh, Sam and Steve in key roles, and it's going to be really about their relationship that we started essaying in Captain America Zero and are now really going to be putting through the ringer. Uh, as we put these two men odds in a lot of ways. Uh, it's really exciting uh, for uh, a few additional reasons. Obviously, it's the climax of a lot of storylines that have been set in motion by both books. Um, the White Wolf storyline that Tochi has been running in uh, Symbol is going to really come to a head in Cold War. The Outer Circle and Bucky and the Century Game and sort of Bucky's first big move as the revolution. Um, after, obviously, the events of the Invader, which... I think you're going to sort of teach Bucky how to play the game. Now in Cold War, you're going to see Bucky make the move that's going to change the 21st century, ideally. Um, and that really is a, it, like, there's a big, uh, this is a big moment for both books. Like both books will not be the same after this. And certainly both storylines will be coming to a head 
in Cold War. Um, at the same time, it's a reuniting of us and Carlos Mano from Kang the Conqueror, an artist who uh, I also think is just a really special talent. Uh, he has this incredible ability to render. If you've read his, his stuff on Savage Avengers, um, David Peplos' run on that, uh, you'll see that same attention to detail, that same willingness to draw everything in the script. So if you tell him that old Mike Mignola thing of like, he draws two skeletons, but and then there's some skeletons in the background, like in the black, and that means a hundred skeletons. But when you tell, like, but when Mike Mignola tells Doug, Douglas Fregredo, like draw a hundred skeletons, he actually draws a hundred skeletons. Carlos draws a hundred skeletons. Like he does not, you can just let him do, tell him to do anything and he'll, just embrace it hard. So he has been doing that with uh, with Captain America, with uh, the with Misty Knight, with Sharon Carter, with Ian Rogers, and with Dimension Z, which we are returning to in a huge way for Cold War um, to embrace one of the last things uh, from the Captain America mythos that's been kind of like left on our board as like here's something we'd really love to follow up on. Uh, Dimension Z's been like the last thing that we were like, when do we get to do it? And then Cold War found out. It was the perfect opportunity for us to just really embrace a um, a reframing of Dimension Z and a return there that lets uh, that challenges Steve obviously very hard, challenges Ian in a way that's uh, going to be life changing for him, and challenges Sam because Sam's never had to go through this uh, and never seen what it does to his friends to be in this uh, awful place. So we're really excited to sort of t- tackle Dimension Z in a whole new way. I love that. Uh you mentioned Carlos and one, I don't understand how he draws all that that quickly because he is a fast artist and it's, I I don't understand. It's superhuman powers. And then two, a a DPS in, uh, in, in Kang. And he unfortunately drew uh, uh, Kang a little too small. I was like, that's a bummer, but can you make it? It's a big old DPS, lots of detail. Can you make him a little bigger? Like knowing that this was going to, he'd have to obliterate a bunch of his own art. And we're like, this is so terrible. And he hit us back in like an hour and a half being like, fixed it. And it's like, yeah, he had to erase like half that page and then just redo it. But it was like, and he was like, so polite about it. Like, I hear your point guys. Here you go. (laughs) That. And then two, I hope we get to see him draw cap with the scale armor, you know, like the way he draws, like the, that textured art, like his costume with a little bit of, of protection on it. The, the way he does that looks, he's one of the best to do that aspect of Cap's suit. Uh, I, I love how weirdly specific that is, bud. I know. I know. These are the th- Look, when you read 25 Marvel comics every week for 20 years, you pick yeah. up on the weird specifics of, of everything. The scale, the scale mail is something that, uh, that's Carmen, as I understand it, that's her one regret. She was like, I probably shouldn't have made it quite so scaly because I have to draw the scales every time. It's, like, it's just so subtle, but I love it. Honestly, I, I can't wait for you guys to see Carlos's take on Sam. Carlos has this Ooh. DPS of Sam in issue one that is my favorite piece of Sam Wilson art. I think ever like I just I'm it's a beautiful beautiful shot and he really sells Sam Wilson Captain America in a in a way that I have always wanted to see done so I was very excited and for our listeners who are like what is DPS it's double page spread they're just they're just talking the lingo it's all right getting um before we let you go I mean like I'm glad that we you got to bring up Dimension Z because I am like the minute it started like sneaking into your book I was just like oh my god they're going there 
Like it's been something that like has been left forgotten and I wish we had enough time to talk more about it because I have so many questions about Dimension Z and how you guys are going to uh, incorporate it in Cold well, you War. You know we can't answer any of those I questions. I know, that's why, why I'm like, you know what? Why we come back after Cold War and we can do a Deal. Deal. Um, also want to shout out your guys' Kang book. I have recommended that to so many people who are asking me constantly, like, who is Kang? And I'm like, this is a super underrated Kang title. Like, I feel like a lot of people missed it. And I'm like, go pick it up. Yeah, time, who cares about Kang? <laughs> I mean, now's the time to get into it. Hell yeah. Um, but thank you guys so much for joining us. This was awesome. Uh, we definitely need to talk Cold War once it's all out. I love that. Jasmine, it was such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for having us. Ryan, always just a terrible time to see you. Uh, the worst. So, <laughs> just, just awful. <laughs> no, great to see you. Guys. Thanks again. Yeah, yeah, we love all, we love them both. <laughs> just, just Jasmine a little oh, bit more. Which is fine. Yeah. I'll take it. All right. Big thanks once again to Jackson and Colin for coming on the show, hyping up all their Captain America stuff, giving us some really great insight into Captain's America and a little bit of a tease of Guardians of the Galaxy and other stuff. Uh, if you want more teases of Guardians, we are going to have editor of the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy series, Darren Shan, here on the show in a week or two. So stay tuned for that, too. All right, that's it for us. This episode of Marvel's Polis was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Polis Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us over at polis at marvel.com. You can use the hashtag Marvel's Polis over on Twitter, um, but also rate, subscribe, drop a review. It helps other people find the show. Amen. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.